I'm Nil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. Dr. Michael Greger is a physician, the New York Times bestselling author of How Not to Die, and an internationally recognized professional speaker on a number of important public health issues, particularly the benefits of a whole food plant-based diet and the harms of eating animal products. Dr. Greger's interest in the power of eating a plant-based diet started with his grandmother, who was diagnosed with end-stage heart disease and proclaimed to be on death's door at the age of 65. Although she was given a bleak prognosis, she came across the work of Nathan Pritikin, a nutritionist and lifestyle medicine pioneer who eventually went on to transform her health with a healthy diet and exercise regimen. Dr. Greger's grandmother went on to live into her 90s, and his professional devotion to discovering how a healthy, whole food, plant-based diet could change lives was forged. I recently had the chance to speak with Dr. Greger about the simple rules he has developed to help people eat as healthy as possible. I also get his take on processed foods and plant-based meats, and whether or not he thinks they are beneficial to individual health. He breaks down what makes certain foods better than others and what consumers really need to look out for on ingredient labels, even when they are shopping for plant-based products. Additionally, Dr. Greger provides some critical advice for food producers and provides tips on how plant-based products can be improved to optimize their health benefits. This is a short but information-packed conversation that hits all the bases on plant-based nutrition with useful and practical information that we can all use to improve our health. Dr. Gregor, thank you for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. So excited to be here. So excited about all the work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, Dr. Greger, I want to start off um, by talking about something that I think everyone should know by now. And I think everyone should know that if you eat a primarily, if not entirely, whole food, plant-based diet, you're going to get healthier and you're going to increase the odds of living a long and happy life. And if anyone's listening and doesn't know why, I would highly encourage you reach you read Dr. Greger's book, How Not to Die. Uh, but the thing is, if things were so simple and if everyone knew this, then heart disease would not be the number one leading cause of death in America and 100 million Americans wouldn't be living with diabetes or prediabetes. So I'm not here necessarily to talk about the problems today with you. I do want to discuss the solutions, however, because I think more and more Americans as well as people around the world need to hear the message that you have for them. So... You have a concept called dining by traffic light. Why don't we start there? Yeah, sure. So it was one of two tools uh, that I came up with for the How Not to Die book, just to just kind of help people make kind of practical day-to-day grocery store type decisions. What I've found over the years is it's not enough to just tell people to eat healthy, right? You got to give them kind of tools. Um, and so, you know, I can tell people to eat dark green leafy vegetables till I'm, you know, you know, <laughs> you know, till I'm red in the face. But it's like, well, wait a second. How do you make them taste good? How do you make them, you know, how do you prepare them? How do you, um, and so, um, 
So one of those tools was uh, the Daily Dozen, um, where I sent up my recommendations around a Daily Dozen checklist of all the healthiest of healthy foods I encourage people to fit into their daily routine. So now I have it as a you know free iPhone and Android app we're excited about. Um, the other tool was this traffic light system, just to try to um, easily put, uh, you know, kind of uh, classify foods into different buckets in terms of their relative healthfulness. So there's green light foods, which uh, we should be encouraged to eat, uh, stuff our face with as many as, as much as possible. Uh, yellow light foods, which we should try to minimize. And then red light foods, which ideally we should not be eating on a day to day basis. Um, and so whole, green light foods are whole plant foods. Yellow light foods are processed plant foods and unprocessed animal foods. And then the red light foods, which we just try to try, really try to stay away from, are these ultra-processed plant foods as well as processed animal foods such as uh, uh, processed meat, bacon, ham, hot dogs, lunch meat, etc. So um, those uh, – and so in uh, coming up with the How Not to Die cookbook – uh, one thing that was very important to me was not every just every recipe be healthy, but every ingredient in every recipe be healthy. So every single ingredient is a green light food. So you say, wait a second, how do you make something sweet without sugar or salty without salt? Well, those are you know some of the some of the challenges we gave ourselves in trying to come up with uh, this healthiest of healthy cookbooks. Yeah, that's ex really exciting. I think what is um, important in the traffic light system that you have is that it reaches everyone, no matter what their current diet may comprise of, and it allows them to come up with a flexible uh, guideline that they can follow to the extent that they're willing to try to eat more healthy in the first place. So I think that's an excellent sort of roadmap versus something extremely strict, which most people don't tend to follow. Um, so, and you know, the yeah, eating, eating, it's important to realize it's a zero sum game, right? Everything mm -hmm. we put in our mouth is a lost opportunity to put something even healthier in our mouth. So it's not that foods are good or bad, but they're better or worse. So, you know, when people ask, well, are eggs healthy? It's like, well, compared to what? I mean, compared to the breakfast sausage next to it, uh, uh, yes, but compared to oatmeal, not even close, right? Um, and so, I mean, that's, I think, helpful for people to understand that it's just like, you know, like blueberries are healthier than bananas, period. Um, yeah. But are, are, am I saying bananas are bad for you? No, no, no. But I'm saying if you have a choice between bananas and blueberries, okay, well, then eat the blueberries. Um, and so it, we can all, in every choice, in every meal, every day, you know, try to you know, move ourselves kind of up the ladder towards, you know, healthier foods, even if we're eating totally, you know, whole food plant-based, we can, you know, uh, you know, eating, you know, uh, you know, uh, white potatoes and iceberg lettuce, and, you know, uh, you know, we could bump it up to sweet potatoes and collard greens. Yeah, and this, we, the problem we face today, and I, I talk to a lot of people about this, is that everyone within the world of healthy eating tends to get very uh, tribalistic about their own approach. And everyone believes um, you either are in one corner or the other. You're either in one camp or the other. And everyone sort of believes that they have the, the best answer or the right answer. And everyone else who doesn't agree with that is undoubtedly wrong. Um, mm -hmm. And may explain why we're in the situation today where all the amazing scientific knowledge and research that you've gathered in your books 
um, all the information and tricks and tips that people need to learn about to make healthier foods exist out there. So many of them are in your cookbook as well. Yet people seem to be more confused than ever before. Um, but one of the things that has been happening, I think, which is a positive sign, a silver lining, is that people are starting to understand that what they put into their bodies impacts them and impacts the world around them. So increasingly, we're seeing this trend, and we talk a lot about that on this show, um, is people like to eat meat, and they want to eat meat. And a lot of people who like to eat meat and want to eat meat are now turning to plant-based meats as an alternative, which from an environmental standpoint is undoubtedly good. Uh, but from a health standpoint, it also stacks up better. And better, of course, is a relative term. Um, you have no cholesterol, no elevation of free fatty acids, no production of TMAO, IGF-1, less inflammation. And, um, and of course, as I said, a much better impact on the environment. But and here's a big important but that we have to talk about, which is uh, we know this and it's important for us to be um, transparent and have a discussion around it, is that plant-based meats, as um, as delicious and as, um, as more animal protein-like as they have become, also have certain problems with them. They have um, canola oil, isolate proteins, natural flavors, extracts, preservatives. So do you think of them as being a problem? And I know that's a very, you can't simplify this question because it really depends how often do you eat it and a range of factors, but do you consider them to be a problem? And how can companies that are working hard to develop these more sustainable, hopefully healthier products, how can they do better? Yeah, well, I mean, that's a perfect example of this concept of better and worse, right? So it are, you know, plant-based meats good for you? Well, compared to what? Well, compared to animal-based meat, absolutely. I mean, it's just hands down, no contest, right? But compared to broccoli, okay, everything falls short, right? Okay. Um, and so I see them as um, tra transition foods, these kind of stepping stone foods. You know, for people that have grown up like most Americans, um, you know, slathering their intestines with cheeseburgers and milkshakes all day long. You know, they, you know, to jump from that to, you know, kale lentils, I mean, it's just uh, an unfathomable leap. I mean, there's just, there's just no way, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, for us to be able to present to them, no, 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 you want cheeseburgers and milkshakes? We got your cheeseburgers and milkshakes. Um, and, you know, we have cholesterol-free cheeseburgers and milkshakes, and we have less saturated fat, and, you know, et cetera, it's on down the list. Um, and so similar tastes, similar textures, moving them along the spectrum towards healthier eating um, in hopes that we can change their palates um, and, uh, you know, open, uh, kind of broaden their horizons to all of a sudden go from that to the hummus and to um, kind of healthier, um, uh, um, less processed versions of these plant foods. In terms of what kind of negative characteristics you see in some of these plant foods, um, uh, plant-based meats, the sodium is probably the biggest factor. So if you look at, if you stack up, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, your, your favorite veggie chicken versus chicken, or you do it with hot dogs and veggie dogs, burgers, whatever, 
and almost every single check down the list better. I mean, you know, I mean, it, it may not have, it may be fiber depleted, but at least has some fiber compared to absolutely none. I, you know, obviously no cholesterol, better saturated fat on down the list, typically even lower in calories. Um, but one thing that we, uh, that almost inevitably same or even worse sodium content. And that's, that's uh, really a problem. Um, and they do that, obviously, because salt is, uh, you know, a cheap way to um, improve the palatability of foods, but um, it's also killing a lot of people. Um, and so, I mean, that's, that's, that, that's an issue. Um, also, the choice of fats, um, uh, you know, uh, the, there's a big push in both the non-dairy um, and the plant-based meat community to go for coconut oil. Um, palm oil, palm kernel oil, these are the saturated plant fats, presumably because it gives that same kind of, uh, you know, the, the solid at room temperature kind of, uh, the, you know, uh, aspects that make saturated fat, the, the, you know, the marbling in, in, uh, in, in meat, the same kind of juiciness or whatever. Um, unfortunately, um, uh, you know, they raise, uh, you know, uh, your bad cholesterol. Um, as much as lard in some cases, uh, certainly coconut oil does. Um, and so, uh, of course, it matters, you know, how much you're eating it and what else the other constituents of your diet. But um, in some aspects, we may, may not be doing, you know, uh, many favors if we have same amount of saturated fat, same amount of sodium. Um, yes, as you mentioned, you know, we're not going to be making trimethylamine oxide because there isn't the carnitine, there's less choline. I mean, there's definitely benefits. Um, but, uh, you know, we'd like to you know, make these products as healthy as possible, um, with the understanding that whole plant foods ultimately are the best choice. Yeah. I think, um, I've been sort of following this rule, um, especially in the last two years where I try, um, and tell me if I'm doing this completely wrong, but <laughs> I've been trying to keep at least 80%, sometimes 90% of my diet, whole food plant-based but I still, um, you know, I like to eat um, some of the processed packaged foods. And I know processed, again, is a relative term. Um, so I do enjoy plant-based meats. And I think uh, packaged plant-based foods are getting increasingly better in terms of the ingredient labels. And all of them are not created equal. And I think the more we talk about this and the more we um, start having discussions around making those ingredient lists better, the more likely we can help this new and emerging industry uh, be more accountable, not just from a sustainability standpoint, but also from a nutrition and health standpoint. So I choose about 80-90% of my diet whole food plant-based and the remaining um, tends to be whether it's um, eating out convenience food, um, uh, plant-based milks and cheeses and, and meats. The question there I have is, um, how much bad stuff can you really get away with? And I, I don't know if that's a simple question to answer, but what do you think? You know, it's actually what you describe. It's actually something called the phytochemical index, which um, was uh, was uh, invented by this guy Mark McCarty, who is actually and it's actually been used now extensively. Um, in the uh, nutrition research community, and it's a dietary quality index, and there's many of them on the market now. It's my favorite one, though, and literally, it's so simple. It's it's a score from uh, zero to one hundred, mm -hmm. and it's the percentage of calories you get on a day to day basis, on average, from whole plant foods. So, um, uh, so if you're eating ninety, you know, eighty percent whole food plant based, then you have a score of eighty. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so the score, so the um, average um, uh, uh, score in average American is nine. <laughs> nine. We get nine calories out of a hundred from whole plant foods, and everything else is processed crap and animal foods. Um, and uh, and uh, and so, and you can do these studies where you say, you know, that that that. Uh, you find that your score translates beautifully into, you know, cancer risk and diabetes risk and inflammation, all sorts of other things, because it just, because the healthfulness of one's diet is not so much plant versus animal, mm-hmm. but it's whole plant foods versus everything else. So processed crap is bad, animal foods are bad. These are speaking in generalizations, um, and so it's as me- so the more whole plant foods we can stuff on our face, the better. So that's really the I think the most critical piece about um, our health, and our body has a remarkable capacity to bounce back from injury. Um, so for example, you know there's these people that we call them social smokers, where they can pick up a cigarette <laughs> at a party once or twice a year, never become addicted. It's very rare, but yeah. you know smoke a couple of cigarettes. And now there's no science in the world that that can show that someone who smokes a you know three cigarettes a year has any worse you know health risk than anybody because your body can clean out all that tar. In fact, within 15 years of stopping smoking, uh, your lung cancer risk approaches that of a lifelong non-smoker. Like your lungs can clear out all that tar, and it's eventually almost as if you never started smoking at all. It's amazing the healing capacity. Right, it's like people with you know end stage heart disease ready to die. Put people on this uh, you know whole food plant based diet, reverse their heart disease, open up arteries. They're at death's door, and all of a sudden, like my grandma goes on to live another thirty years. Um, and it's because our and look and basically they just took away. It's not like they they did some healing property. They they just took away. They stopped. She stopped stabbing herself in a fork three times a day. Right. All she did was took took away the damage took away this self-imposed injury, and the body just naturally healed. The natural state of, of the body is health. I mean, that's where, you know, and it's only when we're kicking it mm. um, does, you know, the, you know, uh, you know, drop a brick on our foot. I mean, normally, our foot's not supposed to be hurting. If you drop a brick on your hurt, it hurts, and so you stop dropping bricks on your foot. Yeah. Um, and so, um, but our body, so um, the question is, how often can you poke yourself? Right? How many vegan donuts can you get away with? Yeah. Um, or regular donuts, for that matter. Um, it's probably actually very little difference, <laughs> if any, um, in their 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 health effects, human health effects. Um, uh, but um, and uh, and that's an unanswered research question. I mean, we do have. I talked about this in the introduction to how not to die. I mean, we do have data that's really shows it doesn't take much, right? So there were these uh, these uh, two. Um, uh, Buddhist monasteries in, I believe, Taiwan, where um, these are wonderful populations to study from a nutrition standpoint because people live there for decades and there's no junk food, there's no soda, there's no processed food, there's no Americanized anything, no fast food, and they eat the same thing every day, period, right? Because, I mean, they're not going anywhere. Um, and so then you could see, then you can study very small. Um, differences in diet, because normally everyone's daily diet changes so rapidly, vastly, that it's hard to really, you know, uh, compare. But so they had these two, and one was totally vegetarian. Mm. Um, and uh, and you know, it was an Asian population. They didn't have any dairy. I forget if, if, uh, what their egg consumption was. Uh, but strictly vegetarian. Um, and this other one was almost completely um, vegetarian. So I forget the the average meat consumption was like one serving of meat every five days or something. 
Um, so it was really kind of a very kind of flexitarian kind of mm-hmm. thing, right? Um, so, but certainly not every day. And the question was, could could you eke out differences between those two populations in terms of, in this case, diabetes rates? Um, and if you would have asked me the results of that study beforehand, you know, I would have said, you know, I, I don't think our, I, 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 I would be skeptical if our body couldn't bounce back from, you know, once every five days eating a serving of meat. Like, I mean, I, uh, like if you're on a daily basis, you know, you're eating uh, plant-based, I don't think you're going to detect any differences, mm-hmm. right? I mean, maybe some statistically insignificant or something, but no, there were dramatic differences in diabetes rates. Um, and that really shocked me. It's like, wow. I mean, so, so, I mean, now if you push that back to once every 10 days, once every two weeks, would you, you know, I mean, obviously there's some point in which it doesn't matter. Um, but, um, but yeah, so I was surprised that that, you know, those, those kind of little differences, um, did, uh, um, uh, did seem to have, uh, kind of, uh, you know, clinically relevant effects. But what, where that line is, we're not sure. Yeah, and it's, it, it's sometimes when you, I hear you say things like that, it sounds like the, um, the solution is sort of simple. If everyone could just get on board, if you're, no matter where you fall within this, um, uh, this health spectrum of um, diet uh, dogma, uh, if you could all agree that people should be eating uh, more whole fruits and vegetables, uh, at least make up a majority of a diet with that, if everyone can just start talking about that a lot more, just imagine the impact we could make. And instead, today, you end up reading headlines like, um, I don't know, beans are the new kale, or butter is back, or uh, sugar is the new fat. or uh, you, and, and it all is done in an attempt to get people, obviously, to click on articles and learn more, um, and um, f- good for the companies and the newspapers that are writing those articles. But at the end of the day, what is the real truth and that often gets lost and of course i know it is complicated but some general rules could benefit everyone um would you agree with that the absolute and it's not that complicated i mean there is this manufactured controversy i mean the if you look at the scientific literature there is remarkable consistency um going back decades at least a half a century to in terms of a consensus as the core elements of healthy eating and living I mean, in fact, uh, to this point, Dr. David Katz, the head of uh, um, uh, the Yale Prevention um, Center, um, started this uh, organization called the Two Health Initiative. People can go to twohealthinitiative.org and basically just so sick and tired of these manufactured controversies by these, you know, kind of moneyed interests who are just trying to either clickbait or sell you some ridiculous um, snake oil. Which, like, okay, let's just let's get a consensus statement as to what is really the healthiest diet, and let's get, you know, every one of the top 500 nutrition scientists in the world to agree to it. And so there you go, truehealthinitiative.org, you can see. And so anyone says, oh, well, I heard this is better, I heard that. Okay, well, no, but what does the science say? It's like, you know, the um, IPCC, you know, the, the, the climate change. It's like, is climate change real or not? Well, let's ask the people that, that are the experts. Okay, and oh, it turns out there's a scientific consensus. And so you go, okay, well, so there is the same scientific consensus among nutrition researchers. Um, and of course, there's always some crazy Exxon-funded, you know, climate change <laughs> denier scientists. And similarly, there's some crazy, you know, whatever, Cattlemen's Association-funded, whatever. But 
Um, but you can go to this site and you can see what the consensus is, and it's been the same thing, you know, for Sebastopol's. I mean, the same kind of thing that you know we've we, we've known about forever. Yeah, yeah. So I have got a bit of a controversial question for you, and may not be easy for you to answer, but um, but let's try it. Okay. So what if I want to know what is less bad? Um, I know I'm, I keep asking questions like better and less bad, but that's the no, world no. We live those in. are exactly the questions. The wrong question is is good or bad, <laughs> right. right? No, no, because I mean you really can't like. There's no like. It's all relative. Better and worse. Yeah. Absolutely, let's okay. do it. All right. So what's less bad? So assume you can make up your. Assuming you have um, an individual who is uh, concerned about their health, is concerned about the health of the planet, and is thinking, what can I do to change um, my diet? And they yeah. read the research, they read your books, they hear this, and they say, okay, I'm going to eat 80 90% whole food plant-based. I get it. I'm going to do that, right. and I'm going to try my best and, and be healthy and cut down the excess sodium and sh- uh, oils and, uh, and sugar as well to the extent I can. Now, for that remaining 10 to 20%, I've got an option, right? Should I choose um, the plant-based milks and meats and cheeses, or should I go with the quote-unquote real options that are available out there or should i be looking for uh forms of meat and dairy that are produced uh differently and don't come from the factory farming system what is what 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 is less when i mean by what is less bad is that 10 percent, which is plant-based processed plant-based less bad compared to the 10 percent that is from animal protein um, in gen- um, uh, it doesn't sound like a very hard question at all. I mean, in general, um, now, right, so there's different levels of processing, right? And so, I mean, my definition of processed food is very broad, nothing uh, bad added, nothing good taken away. So, that I mean, that's a very kind of stringent definition. And that's so a great de- things, definition, firstly. I, so think- that, I mean, all sorts of things follow on. So, soy milk, almond milk, these are processed foods, almond yogurt. These are processed foods, right? If it doesn't, it's not grown on a tree. Bad things are added. Usually, add sugar or they add sodium, um, and taken away. They take away a lot of fiber. Okay, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, um, but now, I mean, uh, and but one has to differentiate between that and what uh, I call ultra-processed foods, or what's uh, referred to in the literature as ultra-processed foods. And these are like, um, you know, something like bakos, or I mean, just absolutely no. So I have all sorts of tons of really bad stuff added, like trans fats, and uh, you know, and carcinogenic dyes, and have no semblance whatsoever to the food. <laughs> to you know, you don't even know what plant it even comes from, right? Um, I mean, and uh, and some of those are more toxic than most or even all animal products. The worst thing on store shelves, you can't buy it anymore. Um, well, even had vegetable in the title, which was Crisco, all vegetable, um, hydrogenated, you know, it was, uh, it was uh, partially hydrogenated vegetable oil. Um, and it was the, you know, most potent source of trans fats in the diet. Um, there's this, you know, vegetable shortening. Um, and the trans fats are worse than saturated fat. Yeah. So it would be better to eat a steak than to eat, you know, the, the equivalent in, in, in Crisco. And that was strictly vegan, right? Yeah. Um, and so one has to differentiate between those kind of ultra-processed products, which really are bad, um, and one's typical processed plant product. And in general, one's typical processed plant product is superior. I mean, you see that my traffic light system is actually better um, than one's, the kind of typical um, unprocessed animal product, but again, um, those uh, in, uh, there are exceptions. 
Right. No, I think you've, you've answered that question really well. I think at the end of the day, um, what the, the important point you bring out there is that all packaged foods also are not created equal. And if uh, and I think this is a key message for anyone who decides to walk into a grocery store and pick up something that's convenient in a package or for someone who is manufacturing any of these products is that if you want to win the hearts and minds of people in the long run and actually provide them with food that's going to make them healthy and save the planet, then you ought to, as a responsible producer of food, as a responsible consumer of food, you ought to try and come up with an ingredient list that avoids these added um, ultra-processed ingredients that add absolutely no value to anyone's health. Um, so I think that's that's crucial, and I think it's an important takeaway. And I think as more companies and more consumers demand cleaner ingredients, the ultra-processed Crisco's and others are just going to be kicked out of the shelves because no one's going to be buying them. Yeah, no, absolutely. So there are, right, I mean, process, I mean, packaged foods have gotten, you know, processed foods, manufactured foods have gotten a bad rap because, in general, absolute crap, right? I mean, it's just like the soda and all that. Okay. Yeah. But... Um, but that doesn't mean that innovative producers can't come up with delicious, wonderful, convenient, shelf-stable food. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, so, uh, you know, there's just no excuse. It's just when people take these shortcuts, well, yeah, we could add, yes, we could add actual strawberries to our Pop-Tart. But, you know, it's cheaper to add, you know, artificial coloring and strawberry flavoring. Yeah. Um, and and of course it's gotten to taste disgusting. So we add a lot of sugar and add a lot of salt and add a lot of other artificial, you know, because then we make it palatable because there's actually no real food in it. Or we could spend the extra money to actually add real food ingredients. What a concept! <laughs> um, and uh, you know, is it going to be at the same price point? Not necessarily. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, let's not kill our customers here. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And anything now. It, I try to be very optimistic about the future, and I think we are at the stage where we we can demand um, manufacturers to do their best and produce better products. Now, of course, part of the problem, as you just said, is that some of the ingredients tend to be very expensive, and that's this will require another hour-long conversation, which is it's artificially made expensive compared to the, the products that the meat ah, and dairy industry. You, yes, you nailed it. Absolutely, right? Sugar is cheap because we, our taxpayer do- dollars, subsidize the sugar industry. It's outrageous. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and, good point. Good and, point. I, I do want to put out that if anyone out there is manufacturing something or want, I would be happy to uh to you know uh you know give me a call i'd be happy to talk you through ingredients and alternative ingredients and you know use miso powder instead of salt and all sorts of other things be happy to help out um i'm uh you know making eating healthy as convenient as possible is very important to me and so would be uh you know happy to help out anybody and i love that you say that because at the end of the day everyone will assume um if everyone didn't hear you just say that and and what you basically said in the last 15 minutes people would assume dr gregor believes you should just eat broccoli and green leafy vegetables all day long and he would not touch anything that comes from a package and i think what i love about your message is that you are trying to put forth a message that works for everyone, that works for all Americans and hopefully works for people around the world. Because that's the only way we are going to bring about change that actually 
reverses those terrible statistics I laid out in the beginning about chronic disease in this country. And we, you know, if we all get it right, maybe reverses what we're, or at least slows down the damage we're doing to our planet's um, ecosystems and life support systems. So... Sounds good. Let's do it together. Yeah. So I've got one last question for you, Dr. Gregor. Um, let's, if we all successful, right? If you um, are able to get this message across to more and more people and we design a better food system, if you look ahead, say 30 years um, down the line, and I give 30 years because at that point, our population is going to be nearly 10 billion people and we're going to be either healthy or we're all going to be starving and sick. Um, so my question for you is more of an optimistic scenario. What if you get it right? What kind of food system, what kind of world do you see 30 years from now in 2050? Oh, well, by then, I mean, just, I mean, so many crises um, are lining up, um, including, for example, in healthcare. I mean, healthcare is just so expensive. Medicare is going bankrupt and bleeding the corporate world. I mean, it's just, I mean, there, there comes a point where we will have to finally, despite um, uh, the all the uh, you know uh, uh, big pharma leverage in our political system finally actually treat the cause um, and uh, do li- and uh, revert to lifestyle medicine, which is not only safer and cheaper but actually more effective in reversing our leading killer chronic lifestyle diseases. Um, and uh, and so I uh, I look forward to a food system and a healthcare system which is aligned. Um, and, you know, we're writing, uh, you know, prescriptions for fruits and vegetables. I'd love to see um, fruits and ve- – I mean, this is my dream scenario. Are you ready? Yeah. Fruit uh, – uh, uh, produce is free. Wow. Produce is, look, if you want to pay money and, you know, get some process, you know, buy Oreos or whatever, fine. Okay, get a job, pay for it. Okay. But all whole plant foods are free. You go, you get, if you want an apple, you get an apple. Like, and it makes sense. It would, the more apples people, it's just going to save our country that much more money on healthcare costs, right? Mm. I mean, so it's actually, it makes sense to give, you know, there's free fruit programs in some European countries and stuff. I mean, just the, the bottom line actually makes sense. And look, if you want to go buy packaged stuff, but look, the healthiest food should be free. And that, I mean, I think that would, um, that would go a long way um, towards uh, towards alleviating so many problems in this world, um, and supporting the farmers. And ah, all right, I want my free apple. <laughs> that is a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant idea. I think yeah, you know, I hope we get to that point where that is a possibility. Um, but you know, the steps that we're taking right now are going to get us there, and we have to work harder to educate people and create better products and better um, recipes and better um, uh, book cookbooks and books and media that can inform the world that this is the right way to eat. And if you get it right, you can, I think, and especially what you said today, people can eat what they love and not die. How about there that? There we go. <laughs> it's the best of both worlds. It's like, wait a second. It tastes great and I get to live longer. That's what plant-based eating is all about. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Gregor. This has been so much fun, an absolute pleasure and an honor to finally get a chance to chat with you about food and health. And I can't wait to have you back on. Keep up the wonderful work. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. 
To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening.